Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Interestingly, food is the only addiction that is both a substance and a process addiction, meaning you can get addicted to the substance of sugar, you can get addicted to the substance of highly refined, you know, whatever, like Wonder Bread, white flour, whatever, but you can also get addicted to the process of eating. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 206. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, hey, veggie lovers. Welcome to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today, I interview Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, PhD, who is an expert in food addictions. A really interesting and really good episode that really makes you think and think through some of these topics. But before I tell you more about Dr. Pierce Thompson, I want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for information on educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. If you have questions about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please contact or consult a health professional. This week, I have a listener question. Thank you so much for sending in questions. You can email me, yami at dryami.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. You can also direct message me on my Instagram at the Dr. Yami. I can't personally answer every single question, but sometimes I also find that some questions are really great topics to share on the podcast. And this question that I got from Pamela is very helpful for everybody. Pamela says, thank you for sharing such valuable health information I can use. My child development colleague asked a question. When it comes to breastfeeding, can tainted breast milk parentheses, drugs slash alcohol slash tobacco in parentheses, ultimately improve when mom cleans system. Is pumping and dumping breast milk encouraged to maintain milk production while detoxing from drugs slash alcohol slash tobacco? This is a great question. And as a pediatrician, and mostly when it comes to pediatricians and lactation consultants, we tend to err on the side of feeding the baby. 
If the mom is willing to feed the baby, we err on the side of feeding the baby the breast milk. There's going to be exceptions to this, but I did reach out to my friend and certified lactation consultant who has been on the podcast before, Irma Bordeaux. So you can look up that episode. Actually, we will link it to the show notes so that you can also listen to the breastfeeding episode. So this is what Irma says. Yay for a great question with three exclamation marks. My big answer to this is it depends. In general, it isn't necessarily contraindicated to breastfeed while on opioids, tobacco use, or cannabis use. The reason I said it depends is because women can use these products at very high doses and infants may suffer from neonatal abstinence syndrome, increased risk of SIDS, etc. Alcohol is metabolized in blood at the same rate as it is for breast milk and generally one to two drinks is not detected in breast milk. This is also a reason I don't recommend pumping and dumping. She's referring to alcohol in that case. My general approach is to discuss the potential side effects and what to look for in baby, i.e. tobacco use may cause smaller babies. It is rare that I tell a mom not to breastfeed because of the low drug content in breast milk. Despite this, breast milk is still superior to an infant's health to formula. When a mother is consuming these products at a higher rate, it will obviously affect how she parents and that is a whole different discussion. My moms that have been very very heavy users automatically choose not to breastfeed or have lost their supply by the time they see me. She also provides some resources that we will link in the show notes, but LanceMed, which is a great resource to look up medications when it comes to lactating people. Also contact information for other providers that might be able to help in this case, addiction and substance use resources, alcohol and breastfeeding and tobacco and breastfeeding, marijuana and opiates when it comes to breastfeeding. So I will link all of those in the show notes. And then the other question is, can tainted breast milk ultimately improve when mom cleans the system? I would surmise that this means abstaining, right? So yes, once you abstain from these substances, your body's taking care of it. It's getting rid of it. So if you're not using them on a regular basis, it's not going to be in your breast milk. Some substances medications, drugs can be in your system for longer than others. But once you're not taking it, it it goes out, you excrete it, it's gone. So it's not something that if a mom was using several months ago or several weeks ago, but she stopped using, it's not something that her baby is getting now. Okay. So that is the answer for you, Pamela. I hope that was helpful. And to the rest of my listeners, if you have questions, reach out, email me, join my newsletter, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. So let's talk about Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. So she is a PhD and an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester. She's an expert in the psychology of eating. She is president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder of the worldwide Brightline Eating Movement. Her first two books include Brightline Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin, and Free, and it became a New York Times bestseller and instant Hay House favorite. Her work weaves the neuroscience of food addiction with powerful insights from positive psychology, IFS, and 12-step recovery to outline a roadmap for achieving true integrity and self-authorship around food. The Brightline Eating mission is to help 1 million people around the globe discover lasting food freedom and have their bright transformations by 2025. So in this episode, we talk about food addiction. This is not the first time I've addressed food addiction or explored the topic of food addiction on the podcast. So we will link those episodes 
in the show notes as well. We've had some really good discussions from people that they identify as food addicts, but also from food addiction experts that do research in food addiction. So this is not the first discussion, but it is an interesting topic to explore. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable Well, maybe it's uncomfortable for me particularly because I feel like I am between two worlds when it comes to the topic of food addiction. And we talk about that in this episode. We talk about how she defines food addiction, the prevalence of food addiction as she defines it, if it can be prevented or can we decrease the risk of it? Is there potential harm when someone who isn't truly a food addict believes that they are a food addict? We also talk about the relationship of body size to food. I did ask her a bit of a direct and challenging question, and I think she handled it really well, but it prompted a really great discussion. And I I really hope that you're able to listen to this episode with an open mind and take from it what you feel that you need right now. I do give you my takeaways after the episode, so stick around for that. But without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thanks, Dr. Yami. It's so great to be here with you. It's great to have you. I've actually followed your work for quite some time. And so I know of you. I've been following you through the years. And you have a new book out, which is exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to start at the beginning because we've talked about food addiction a little bit on my podcast. And I've had some guests that have actually struggled with food addiction themselves, kind of and talk about their journey and different perspective, talk to food addiction specialists and experts. But also I have one foot in the intuitive eating world. So I kind of straddle these worlds where there's, you know, different models, different philosophies. So from your experience and your wisdom, I'd love to hear how you define food addiction. Oh, Great question. And uh, and I just got to say, I think that there's different approaches for different people and not everyone needs addiction, abstinence kind of type of reco- recovery approach to food at all. And actually, I would have to say, uh, don't do it if you don't have to. I mean, it's fine too. If you have to, it's a blessing and it's a freedom. But I, I think, you know, addiction... You know, Dr. Yami, you know then if you've if you've been following my work that I come from a really low bottom place with addiction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, as a teenager, toward the end of my teenage years, I was hooked on crack cocaine, and I before that I was oh, just a wicked crystal meth addict, and um, you know, so so for me, addiction is when you really want to stop and you just can't, and or you keep stopping but you can't stay stopped. And you know that it's hurting you. You know that it's... So when people say, oh, everyone's addicted to something, I just think, oh, you have no idea. No, not everyone is addicted to something. I don't think, you know, getting a little zing from playing some online poker a little too much or, you know, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. I'm talking about using with tears streaming down your face and just knowing I have done everything I can to stop this and it's not working. You know, that's... To me, that's addiction. I mean, I think some hallmarks are losing control over how much you, you know, you do or you ingest or whatever, um, you know, saying you're going to do a little and then you do a lot, repeated attempts at quitting that never seem to last or succeed, um, watching your use kind of escalate over time. So that's tolerance, right? 
Um, a lot of people think you can't experience withdrawal from sugar and flour, but you can. Most people, a lot of people, um, when they give up sugar and flour, experience uh, withdrawal symptoms, you know, flu-like symptoms. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a pat definition to roll out for you, but that's, that's a little bit of the lay of the land of what I'm talking about when I talk about food addiction. Yeah, well, thanks for, I mean, I think that's very helpful to put it in those terms instead of like these big scientific words because it helps people understand. And I do believe food addiction is a thing, I do. And I, I feel like it's definitely a spectrum. Yes. Can you be addicted to any food? Interestingly, yes. So here's the weird thing. I personally believe, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a time traveling machine, so I can't prove this, but I personally believe that um, no one would be addicted to food if we didn't have uh, the concocted, manufactured, highly processed foods in our food environment that we have right now. Um, so I think food addiction starts with processed food addiction. But interestingly, um, food is the only addiction that is both a substance and a process addiction, meaning you can get addicted to the substance of sugar, you can get addicted to the substance of highly refined, you know, whatever, like Wonder Bread, white flour, whatever. Um, but you can also get addicted to the process of eating. And in most classification systems, they list food under the process or behavioral addiction, like gambling addiction or, you know, um, internet addiction or shopping addiction or what have you, where where the the behavior itself is intricate and rich and rewarding and cue-laden enough to hook your brain on its own chemicals. And um, and we know that something I mean, gambling is it's a bona fide addiction, right? And your brain is creating all the juice that it's getting hooked on, right? As you do these behaviors. Well, I've seen people, you know, develop food addiction and then, you know, spend all day standing in the kitchen eating iceberg lettuce and button mushrooms dipped in mustard just to like not get in many calories but binge their brains out. It's ridiculous. And I myself have experienced, you know, um, vegetables like roasted with oil and honey crisp apples. Like I just feel like I could eat and eat and eat and eat. Uh, that's why um, really a, an approach to recovery needs to account for the sort of frequency and the quantity of food that's consumed and sort of put boundaries around that as well as not eating the addictive foods, you know, donuts and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates with me. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that in a little bit, but I definitely agree with that, that I have been in all of those stages where pounds of broccoli <laughs> were consumed when not hungry and just to eat, you know, just to eat. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I agree with that, that <laughs> distinction of both a substance but also a process. And sometimes you may not actually be eating the substance, but you're engaging in that process that's giving you that dopamine yeah. hit or soothing you in some way. You're using it to soothe yourself in some way. So what would you estimate or what do you think is the prevalence of food addiction? Which I know that's a difficult question just because it can be a spectrum. And there's some people that, yeah. you know, like yourself with definitely reading your story, I agree. Like, wow, you were truly a food addict. Okay. So what is the prevalence of people that would fit into this? Okay. We definitely have a food addiction here versus some other people that maybe do the little dabbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually not that hard. So I've conducted studies on this. Ashley Gearhart um, has conducted studies on this. There's published literature on this. 
And uh, sort of the like definitely a food addict camp is about 20% of the population. It's not a small number. That's a huge um, number. Yeah, what I would call high on the food addiction susceptibility scale, and let me let me just pause here before I finish answering your question and just say, you said two things earlier on that are just foundational and so important. And it's my hope that at some point everyone, especially in the intuitive eating world, in the, you know, um, body positivity world, in the food addiction treat, food, uh, sorry, eating disorders treatment world, can just come on board with understanding food addiction is real, it's a thing, and it's a spectrum. Not every brain is affected at all or equally affected, right? And so um, in terms of the prevalence, the, the tippy tip is 20%. Um, but I would say one third of people are what I would call high on the food addiction susceptibility scale. That They might not be a nine or a 10, but they might be a seven or an eight. And that's definitely high enough that, oh my gosh, you have to factor it in if you're trying to like, you know, live your, you know, find peace with your relationship with food. Then one third of people are moderate um, and one third of people are low. And just saying, one third of people are not addictable to anything. I mean, heroin. They're not, you could shoot them up with heroin every day for months and they're not addictable. Um, They'll get off it. As soon as you stop forcing them to take those heroin injections, they'll stop. And people might say, well, that's ridiculous. Heroin's just addictive. Everyone could get addicted to heroin. No, you know, they send people home after back surgery with, uh, opiate prescriptions. And, you know, not everyone becomes a pill head after that. And there are these people who don't need a cup of coffee every morning and can have a cigarette at a concert or whatever, not think about it again, you know, maybe not even have one at the next concert. Doesn't matter to them. They're not addictable. Um, the the addiction circuits in the brain just don't wire that way for some people. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. <laughs> Where as Working as a health and wellness coach and seeing how different people just react to their environments can be so radically different sometimes. So I'm a pediatrician. And so I'm very concerned with prevention as a pediatrician, right? Like I, one of my main goals is to help establish healthy habits and behaviors, but also develop confidence in body and eating habits. So can we prevent food addiction? Can we do, can we set things in motion at a child's young stage in their life in order to decrease the risk that they're going to develop a food addiction? Or do you believe that because we're immersed, you know, it's the water around us, you know, the processed foods and everything, that it's inevitable? Uh, no, yes, and yes. So uh, basically the questions you asked are, um, can we prevent food addiction? Not in this current environment. The last thing you said, it's the water around us. Um, it's... Uh, our current food environment puts parents in the worst position imaginable. It's it's basically torture right, trying to raise good eaters in this society. It's just maddening. What you said in the middle, though, of like, can we decrease the risk? Yes. And what I think, but I, you know, by some, uh, you know, your child's genes, frankly, are going to play a very big role. You know, just look at your family tree. How many alcoholics? How many chronic smokers? You know, just look at your family tree. That's going to be the, you know, how many people with eating disorders or uh, obesity or whatever, right? Those are going to be the the you know, that's more than half the the pie right there that's already accounted for. You haven't even begun to raise them yet. But um, for parents, and I just got to say, God bless the pediatricians out there. Our pediatrician's fabulous. And when I start to bring up food and food addiction and the obesity pandemic, uh, she turns into a 
just a, a mad woman, like a raving lunatic. Like she just, she starts to like sweat and like wave her hands around. And she's like, you have no idea. Like I see these parents and the kids are getting fatter and the parents are fatter and the, and the like, and just the, like the powerlessness over the parents have no idea. Like we are facing a generation of kids where the commonality is going to be diabetes by the age of 30 or 40, leg amputations, blindness, like, you know, she sees the writing on the wall and it's, it's when she, when she really thinks about it, it, it's so horrifying. Like she just puts herself in it. She's in a horror movie, you know, just watching the train wreck, you know, coming down the pike at all of us. So, you know, I have three kids, I have three girls and here's what, what I found that has helped me, but I don't think it's a panacea. I don't think it's, you know, uh, completely preventing my girls from developing food addiction. I have no idea sitting here with my, my twins are about to turn 14. My youngest is 10. I have no idea whether any of them have, will have food addiction, you know, things are developing. I don't know. We'll see. What I've done is I've followed uh, what's called the division of responsibility. And Ellen Satter came up with this and her materials. I love I love what she's done. She doesn't believe in food addiction. She and I have talked on the phone. We disagree about that. I think food addiction is very, very real. I think the science by now is just definitively clear about that. Um, but I do think raising kids in, in a middle ground with some boundaries, but not abstinence from you know, addictive foods. I don't think that's helpful. It just sets up a forbidden fruit effect. I mean, unless you're living on an ashram in a mountain in Oregon where, you know, everybody's just eating kale and tofu and brown rice. I don't know how you would, um, I don't know how you would keep kids from discovering at some point, like, oh, birthday cake is really good. And then they'll just not trust you. They'll be like, oh, my parents do not understand what real food is. You know, like I've just found the real food, right? You can't do that. So the, the division of responsibility is you provide food that you feel comfortable serving, a variety of it at mealtimes, making sure that they have some snacks in between. So you're providing meal structure, like in this family, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you have a snack in between when you need one. And, and you're providing it sitting down and you absolutely become deaf, dumb, and blind as soon as the food hits the table. You're not noticing or caring whether or how much they eat of what you've provided. Literally, if they just scoop heapings of white rice onto their plate and load it up with butter, you're not noticing. That's fine. That's their meal for the day. Um, and that's that has kept my kids so far from pretty much um, developing... Uh, a disconnect from their brain and their stomach. Like my kids are still regulating their quantities and they're, they're still able to be mostly non-conscious about it, but not entirely. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, we, I've got just about both from me and my husband, just about the worst genes in the world to pass down to them. So we'll see. (laughs) Well, thank you for talking about that. I talk about the division of responsibilities all the time. I love it. And it's something that a lot of parents don't know because we're used to feeling like we have to force our kids to eat or have them eat a certain amount or restrict their food. So it is one of those things that takes time and patience to learn and lots of practice. Yeah. So I appreciate you talking about that because I think it is very important. So one of the things that I'm curious about and I've thought about so much and I would just love to hear your thoughts on a couple of things. One, the first thing is, and I know that you address this too in your book, but 
is there potential harm? Can there be any harm in a non-food addict or somebody that's low on the susceptibility scale, because we're talking about a spectrum, believing that they are a food addict? It's so interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about that before. I think that one could go either way. Uh, like really believing. I, I have a hard time believing that someone who really wasn't a food addict would believe that they're a food addict. Um, like, for example, let's say they signed up for my program, Bright Line Eating, and they were surrounded by people. Let's imagine they thought they were a food addict. And so they were in a, they, they, uh, we actually separate our online community by susceptibility, food addiction susceptibility score. So we keep the people who are highly, um, you know, uh, food addicted in, in a group together and people who are lower in a group together because people who are lower in terms of food addiction susceptibility, they don't work bright line eating the same way that people who are higher would, you know, if they, if they want to consciously decide to have, you know, whatever, a glass of champagne or some birthday cake at an event and they write it down in their book and they're like, okay, everyone, I'm going to have this one piece of cake and they get right back on track afterwards. It's not going to create the same slippery slope effect that it would in an addict. Um, so I, I question whether, do you, so let me just put it back to you, Dr. Yami. Do you think it's possible for someone who's really not uh, highly addicted to think that they are? How would they think that? Okay. Well, let me just take it to myself then. <laughs> okay. This is, this is the person I know the Asking best, for right? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Asking just for take a it friend. Personally. What do you think? <laughs> um, so when I take your quiz, and I've actually done your program. So I'll just talk about okay. that. So when I take your quiz, I score a 10. And there's definitely been times when I, yeah, like I can look back and whenever you do the susceptibility scale, it talks about take yourself to the time when you felt like you were at, you yes. know, having, struggling the most, right? So I can even tell you right now where it was in my timeline where it was like really bad. And yeah. if I score myself based upon those times, I score a 10 every single time. Okay. But when I, it's, and then this is going to go with the following questions. It's going to be with body weight and body size and the relationship yeah. between that and our relationship to food, because I think there's some complexities there. So yes. if I go down the path of believing I'm a food addict and restrict myself that much, my problems get worse and worse and worse to the point that you talk about. And, and you know, you're talking about in the book, this resuming and, and shattering the crystal vase, like that just happens to me more. So yeah. when I've taken a different perspective and I believe, no, I'm not necessarily, I don't think I'm a food addict. I think that I have some strong reactions. I have some strong dopamine reactions. I think that I'm doing the human reaction to food a little bit stronger than some people maybe. But when I separate that from my body weight and tune more into my well-being, I don't have problems anymore. And I can eat those foods without issues. So it's just, to me, it's curious because having one foot, and like I said, I want to learn the most I can about this because I want to help myself. I want to help other people. And I want to have the empathy and compassion for people that are struggling on both sides of the spectrum, right? Yeah. So having one foot in the intuitive eating community, I've heard from a lot of clients that the same thing happened to them when yeah. they're over-focusing on it, believing that they're food addicts, going down this abstinence road, things yeah. worsen for them. And it turns into yeah. a cycle of worsening and worsening. And then they find the intuitive eating world. They didn't know about it before. They do that and their problems get better. So that's yeah. why I'm wondering if the mindset of 
addiction can some can it make some people have worse problems with their food? Yes. So absolutely. And I I uh, I just, I hear you. I get you. I totally understand the lay of the land you're talking about. It's a very, very real thing. And I don't know if you've been around Brightland Eating recently enough to hear about the partnership that we've been developing with internal family systems and the notion of the food indulger and the food controller, right? Mm-hmm. And these parts of us. So I think for your listeners, I want to develop that framework a little bit because it'll give us a good language to talk about this stuff, right? So, so internal family systems is a branch of psychology that's developed. It's, it's very research-based. It's very evidence-based. Uh, it's very effective, and um, the premise is that you think of your psyche as um, a collective of parts that that are almost like their own people that feel certain ways and and have certain motivations and and have certain roles or jobs in our life, and they develop often, you know, over the course of our life, um, because in, in response to certain circumstances. And what can happen is the food controller part of us when we uh, say, okay, I think I'm, I, I think I have some food addiction in the mix here, and I think I might try an abstinence-based approach. Um, the food uh, controller part, um, especially if it's a perfectionistic food controller, um, gets really excited because now it's getting the support that it needs to finally get those ducks in a row and finally get you know that weight off and finally you know get all this in order, and it can become very rigid, perfectionistic, controlling, and fear-based around like not ever wanting this streak of perfection to be ruined, right? And this really pisses off other parts of the system that are like the rebel part that's like, you know, I don't really want to live my life abstaining from those foods forever. And then the food indulger part that's like, uh, that either starts negotiating, you know, yeah, well, maybe we can swap this for this or kind of do it that way or, or, or just there's all kinds of ways the food indulger can come in to try to just get some more food, right? And then the problem is physiologically the food indulger part is supported by biology because as you lose weight, you know, over time, the brain goes, there's a famine happening, right? And starts to change your hormones uh, to force you to up, back up the scale, to force you to eat more, right? And so, um, uh, Dr. Yami, so a couple things. Um, one is, yes, what you're talking about is absolutely a thing. And for some people who had bigger food issues in the past and did a lot of emotional work and loving self-love work that, that sort of did a lot of healing and got to a much better place. It can absolutely be the case that it's just not worth worrying about those last few pounds. If there are any, absolutely. And if you have a, a peaceful, free home base in your body and with food to come back to without going the route, um, of an abstinence-based approach, do that. Like, I think that's totally fine. That's what I meant at the beginning where I was like, I actually recommend you don't <laughs> do this necessarily. Um, they're, they're, for people who can't find peace there, can't for whatever reason, because it keeps getting more extreme, you know, they keep sliding into the ditch again, or um, their sense of their body is like, no, this is not my a body that I'm comfortable in, you know what I mean? Or there's health reasons where they're like, I do need to get my cholesterol or my whatever and more check and have, you know, but I, but then I try to eat healthier and I can't, right? There are all kinds of reasons why some people don't find it possible to find homeostasis there, right? In which case, what I find is 
if you can work Brightline Eating or a 12-step food addiction program or whatever abstinence-based program you're trying to work with your highest self in the driver's seat, like from a self, I call it a self-led program, meaning from your clear, calm center, not the relentless pursuit of skinny, not you know, the relentless pursuit of perfect food, but understanding that life gets lifey, there are ebbs and flows, we're gonna make a swap here because we need to eat this instead of that tonight or whatever it is, bringing some sanity into the mix, some, some, yeah, just not letting the food controller uh, be that perfectionistic and run amok, that can be sort of the, the solution to what you're talking about, right? And that, it takes a lot of self, um, self-knowledge, like just self-growth, self-knowledge, self-love, it actually brings in all the intuitive eating stuff that, 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 that gets de- developed there. The, like, okay, why are you wanting to eat? And can we breathe? And all that stuff. So it's very nuanced. It's very nuanced. I tried to get into a lot of that nuance in my book, Resume, you know, where there are ways to do this either with or without the bright lines, yeah. right? Yeah. With or without. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, I am obsessed with this clothing brand called Oufere. I initially saw Tabitha Brown wearing one of their bathing suits on Instagram, and I immediately went to the website and bought myself one. Now I have three of their pieces, actually five technically, considering that I have the cover up for the bathing suit and also the head wrap, and I have two infinity dresses. Their clothing is amazing. So they're actually an award-winning African fashion brand featuring beautiful pieces with vibrant prints and bold patterns, but they make you feel like royalty. I wore one of the infinity dresses for my friend's wedding and I got compliments all night long, but I felt so confident and I just felt so beautiful wearing it. I don't know if you've ever worn an infinity dress, I have never even heard of an infinity dress before, but basically it's a dress that you can style in lots of different ways. So it's like having a hundred dresses in one. You can change it according to your mood or what part of your body you wanna show off. But the bottom line is you're going to feel amazing. So if you want to check out their pieces, it's Oufere, O-F-U-U-R-E. But I have a special code so that you can get 10% off of your first order. Oufere.com forward slash Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I. Okay, so Oufere is O-F-U-U-R-E.com forward slash Dr. Yami. Also, if you go to dryami.com forward slash shop, you can get to the link right there or check out the show notes. I promise you are not going to regret checking out this clothing brand, especially if you love looking like a queen. Hey humans, I know you wanna eat healthier but feel strapped for time and even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80 plus flavor packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes 
and lunch in 10. Try 15 plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients, as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide their recipe cards, and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow, and everything you need is included, so even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home-cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring, and time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home-cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash human 50 and use code IAMHUMAN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash IAMHUMAN50 and use the code IAMHUMAN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by women and for women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, zinc, and selenium. The daily greens are certified organic and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the apple banana daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrated into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, that was so good. And 
you did at the beginning, you initiated with that, which is great. And I think that's really important for people to hear. And I think you're right. I think sometimes we just need experience with that experience and with that insight to try different things and have grace and trust in yourself that whenever you tune into yourself and learn, okay, which, which path is going to be the right path for me. And I was going to ask you more about the internal family systems and parts work. I've actually had therapy, internal family uh-huh. systems there. I've done everything, by the way. <laughs> I've done everything. Um, and I find it, but I do, I have a very strong controller and I have a very strong rebel. They're just like, yeah. you know, my rebel's yeah. like, F you, don't restrict me. I'll eat as much as I want. <laughs> so, yeah. and the controller's like, yeah, but that's not good for you. And you need, you know, and so I think that's why the path I found ultimately worked better for me is because it's able to, to give something to both of those parts in that I'm still eating my mostly predominantly whole food diet that feels good, feels good in my body. My controller is happy, but my rebel's like, yeah, and I can eat as much as I want and don't, don't mess with me because I will yeah. fight back. <laughs> so yeah, totally. it's, it's so and interesting, right? I mean, it's, it's so deep and it can be very confusing to some people that may have not spent as much time exploring some of these things. So I'm glad that you, you're, you're writing about it in a way that, yeah, it's, it's not just this, like, do this, do this, do this. It's more like, there's a lot of things to think about. Yes. And everybody's different. And I also want to say that just because it, just because your eating's getting a lot worse doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you won't ever find peace with um, a bright line sort of approach. Because mm-hmm. my food got way worse after I started uh, my first my first foray into a really strict 12-step food program. You know, I lost all my weight, uh, had, had great success for six months, and then binged my brains out and went from a size 4 to a size 24 in three months. And uh, was tortured by food and everything was way worse than it had ever been. Um, and you know, then I sort of got through all that pain or whatever, set up a very, you know, kind of strict program then and had success with it for about eight years. Um, and then I'm just now kind of over the last few years getting to this place of recognizing what a, a calm, clear, highest self-led program really looks like, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it's still a journey. I mean, it's, yeah. I think for those of us for whom food is, is the keystone habit or the, you know, such a big issue, it just becomes the biggest teacher. And I think uh, understanding that it just doesn't really stop. You just mm-hmm. keep staying curious and open and gentle and, and just knowing like, okay, this is, let me feel gratitude for this. This is my path to self-discovery and to staying awake to life, really. You know, my food will tell me. It's the, it's the what is it, the canary in the coal mine, right? It'll tell me. Uh, and I've got to listen. I've got to, there's no living non-consciously with a food. I mean, well, I guess you could just sink right into the food, but, um, yeah, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna keep, keep trying, you know what I mean? It's a journey and a process. Yeah. And you're right. It's about awareness too. Like I always joke around, like when I'm really stressed and somebody that's close to me in my family asks how you're doing, one of my ways to know that I'm really stressed is I'll say something like, I want to dive head first into chocolate cake. That's what I want right now. <laughs> that is my stress level, you know? Um, and I'm aware enough to know that that's my body's response, but that's not really what I want to do. You know, like, yeah, I would love to do it, but it's not truly what my highest self wants. 
But let me ask you your opinion on this, okay? Because and you've touched on this a little bit. But what do you think is the role of body size and our desire or our goals in body size with our relationship to food? I found this too in the times that I've really just wanted, okay, I want to lose a certain amount of weight. I want to be a certain size. It really mucks up my relationship with food. So how often do you think it starts with the desire to lose weight that drives these addictive behaviors rather than vice versa, that you have the addictive behaviors, then your body size changes? And is there a way to separate them? I don't know if there's a way to separate them. They are so linked. It's such a, it's, uh, the chicken sometimes comes first and the egg sometimes comes first, for sure. Um, absolutely. And I, you know, I want to say that, um, you know, getting into the body positivity, health at any size type, type movements is, you know, more and really, I feel like there's layers of nuance that I haven't unpacked here yet. Um, because it's, it's, it's so complex, but I, I can tell you off the cuff that I have a part of me that has a very strong knee jerk reaction to the, the simplest form of the movement that I see happening here in our society of that's, that feels to me like it's trying to advocate that no one should ever be trying to lose weight, Mm -hmm. which I think is madness given the current state of the obesity pandemic, right? Like, and, and, or that society shouldn't be doing anything to change our food environment because everybody's weight is just fine. And we just need to practice on collective individual acceptance, right? Like I just think, oh no, we cannot accept what's ha- like like our collective weight climbing and climbing and climbing unabated is so not good for anybody. Like this is not okay. Uh I mean I, I mean it is what it is, right? So but uh yeah, it so there's that. I but you're I know what you're quite what you're getting at. Your question is is different than that. It's really um uh so yes, at a certain size um uh trying to lose more weight can absolutely cause problems. And, uh, and it's not, um, it's not productive and the body speaks, you know, when you try to shave something out of your food plan or eat a little and suddenly, you know, the starvation brain kicks in, which is like your brain going, is it mealtime yet? Is it mealtime yet? Is it mealtime yet? Or suddenly you, you know, you start to eat a meal and you feel like you want to eat the house and like, it's your brain is saying, you know, your brain is saying something to you there. What I think that few people have thought deeply enough about is how strange it is really that food and weight are linked the way they are in the addiction, in the, in the food addiction and food addiction recovery world, because weight loss is really separate from food addiction and food addiction recovery. It's a whole different thing. It's as if, here's the analogy that um, that I've been using lately, and this is from my latest book. Um, I say, imagine that Uh, you're an alcoholic and you live in a world in which drinking over time caused acne, really bad disfiguring acne. And not just disfiguring acne, but fatal acne, acne that would hurt and that would cause you to die years before your time in pain. Now imagine that when you stop drinking, the acne stays there. And that the only treatment for alcoholic acne causes cravings to drink. 
what kind of like what kind of like tailspin would you be in then, right? That's what we've got. We've got a world in which eating all this food causes weight gain. Uh, it doesn't look great. And it's got this, oh, by the way, it's going to cause pain in your joints and throughout, you know, inflammation and neuropathy and all these other issues. And it's going to cause you to die in pain and years before your time. Okay. So there's that. Um, and especially now that COVID's in the mix, you know, even maybe imminently, right? Okay. So there's that. And if you try to address the weight issue, it's going to, um, potentially and most likely kick up food addiction cravings. It's going to kick up binge cravings. It's going to kick up food obsession, even if you were, your brain was peaceful before then. So what a conundrum to be in, right? Sometimes I recommend people, um, just focus on their recovery from food addiction and put weight loss off to the side. You can sort of eat a maintenance level food plan and keep your brain more peaceful as you're just getting the food addiction symptoms under control, the binging or the, uh, the overeating or whatever you were doing. Um, but ultimately a lot of people want to lose weight and I support people in trying to lose weight. You know, I think, I think a lot of people for, for all kinds of reasons that are not just, selling out to the man and oh Twiggy, you know, I want to be like Twiggy. Like it's not that. It's like, no, no, no. My my true path here is to get some of this weight off. You know what I mean? I'm not comfortable at the size or with the health implications that I'm experiencing. And then, you know, um some people kind of get by scot-free. They get that weight off and they transition to maintenance and it's not a problem. Other people get some weight off scot-free, but then they start having um, more food cravings and so forth as they get closer to, you know, what they're hoping, uh, to get down to weight wise. Um, but absolutely if someone can, can be peaceful, you know, whatever X number of pounds above where they had at one point hoped to get, uh, I I'm for me, the biggest thing is the peace, right? I don't want to be ruled by food anymore. I don't want to be out of control with my food anymore. I don't want to be out of integrity with my food anymore. Um, so I don't know if, if there's an answer in what I just said, but yeah, <laughs> there's a no, lot to it. It's complicated, right? It's complicated. Yeah. And I think it's just so hard to separate diet culture and thin culture too. And, you know, doing the yes. research and learning about weight and size bias. I mean, I know you must have experienced that at some points throughout your life. And it's just so much easier to live in a thin body because you get thin privilege. And so um, I think that desire for weight loss is really strong. And I feel like probably a lot of people, I mean, I don't know, you're, you're the food addiction expert. So what would you think? Do you think that people are more likely to come and stay because of the weight loss or because of the pain from their food addiction? Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best 
part because I've told y'all before I'm lazy. So I don't want to have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you wanna give it a try, you've been curious, about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Oh, there's a great uh, saying, which is they come for the vanity, but they stay for the sanity. Mm-hmm. Um you know, is that true? I don't know. I, I feel like I spend a lot of my time these days coaching people to let go of the, the weight issue. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you got to just, at some point you got to just say, I'm done focusing on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. You know, I'm not going to spend my life staring at a bathroom scale and trying to manipulate that number. Like let's move on. Um, and, uh, I agree with what you said. I thin, thin privilege is, um, mate. I would argue one of the biggest, you know what I mean? Like one of the biggest, it's, mm-hmm. it's outrageously strong in our society yeah. still. Um, you know, <clears throat> and I don't, um, yeah. Yeah. What a mess we're in. Totally. Yeah, I know. Do you believe we're responsible for the size of our bodies? What do you think about that? What a weird way to put it. What a weird way. I, <laughs> I know, yeah, it's not I, necessarily a nice question, but I just, I'm curious because I guess if you, for some people, they may think that if someone is very, very large, they should do something about it, right? Like it's your responsibility to change your situation and do something about it. What do you think? Can I just say that when you first said that question, it sounded to my system like, is it closer to the school or by bus? <laughs> like, in other words, my whole system was just like responsible for our bodies. Like, I just, I would never put it that way. Um, well, how would you put it? Well, it seems I would like say the that- answer is probably <laughs> no then, right? Like if that doesn't even, if you've never thought yeah. of it that way, then probably the answer is no. Yeah, no, I don't. 
No, I, I, yeah, no, I don't think, yeah. Um, no. Yeah. No. Um, I think that people are dealt a hand of cards around their eating and their weight that by the time anyone's old enough to, you know, um, have enough knowledge and agency and everything to like, uh, manage a kind of responsibility like that, right. Whether that's 16 or 18 or whatever age, right. Like, um, the die is cast, uh, in a lot of ways, right. A lot has already happened. And I think that some people will choose to, to, to try to change the trajectory that they're on in some kind of way. And some people won't. And I don't really, I, I have, I have shockingly little judgment for that. Like I sort of feel like someone who's sort of like, yeah, I mean, people ask me all the time, what do you do to, to get people who aren't willing to like, you know, do that? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? If someone chooses really to like, you know, live with their eating and their weight exactly the way it is, even if that means that they are eating, you know, a pizza and a pint of ice cream every night and 400 pounds, I sort of feel like that is, that is a, a reasonable choice given certain circumstances. That is, I, I totally get that. You know what I mean? Where maybe they've tried, maybe they haven't tried, but you know, whatever, I get it of like, oh no, I, I prefer to just do this, you know what I mean? Or this is where I'm at or whatever. No, I don't. I mean, yeah, no. I guess once someone is an adult, um, then they are responsible for a series of choices and, and, and behaviors that are going to continue to affect their weight. Mm -hmm. I would say that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That's as close as I would get. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I mean, you know, thank you for indulging me in that. <laughs> I know it was a little bit of a tough question. But I agree too that habits and behaviors support our body size. Genetics is very important. Environment is extremely important. Like we said before, it's the water that we live in, you know, it's everywhere. And between somebody's genetic predispositions and habits and behaviors and environment, you know, there's definitely going to be some people that it's not going to be in their interest or in their knowledge or in their whatever to even think about changing their body size or, or do anything about it. And, and that's okay because it's their life and it's their business, right? So, Okay. Anything else you want? I had a separate question about internal family systems and parts work, but I think you answered it. Is there anything else you want to say about that since that's the focus of your current book? I just think it's a really helpful, um, sometimes a framework comes along that really provides some clarity about our internal landscape. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who um, has food issues of any sort, I just highly recommend that you learn sort of these archetypes, you know, the food indulger, the food controller, the rebel, the caretaker, the isolator. Um, you know, this is the, this is the sort of um, helpful breakdown of, of what's otherwise, if you don't kind of parse it out that way, it just feels like a baffling predicament to be in? Why do I keep fighting against myself? Why do I feel so strongly one way one moment and then like the opposite way the another moment? Why am I, you know, committing and 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 knowing that I want to eat this way and then, you know, 
a day later or later that day eating this other thing. It just doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, that's all I would say. And, you know, the book is Resume, and it's spelled R-E-Z-O-O-M, The Powerful Reframe to End the Crash and Burn Cycle of Food Addiction. But there's other ways to learn about IFS, too. They just won't... um, they just won't unpack the food aspect of it for you as clearly. So yeah, I just think it'll be helpful. It'll just provide a lot of clarity and relief and sort of food for thought as you go mm-hmm. along through your life going like, oh, that's that's why uh, my behavior sort of in this food domain sort of seems all over the place sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can easily apply those parts to really any healthy behavior habit that you're trying to adopt and you're have you're struggling with, right? Because it comes Absolutely. into all of those decisions that we make throughout the day, all our behaviors. All yeah, right. Well, totally. I want to learn a little bit more about you as we close out. Do you have a specific morning routine? And if so, what does it look like? I do. And I just had a long bout of COVID. So I'm just kind of getting back to it and rebuilding it. Yeah. Um, When I wake up in the morning, I roll out of bed and I do child's pose. So um, I, and I just, I, most mornings remember that I'm not just saying words wrote in prayer, but I'm like really trying to connect my heart and my mind to the, the feeling of grace and divinity that, um, that enlivens me and all of us in the day, you know, in my belief. So um, I, I get on my knees and I pray and sort of nose to the carpet like that. Then I go pee and I grab a book that's on the back of my toilet tank because that's where I'll remember to read it. And I read a daily meditation for the day, again, to sort of broaden my perspective out beyond myself. Um, I take my thyroid medicine and then I um, go down into my office and I get out my meditation bench and I meditate for half an hour. And just try to really be and breathe. And um, <clears throat> then my phone starts to ring and I uh, take one or two or three uh, phone calls from people that I'm mentoring on their food journey. And I do that for fun and for free. That's just a service that I do uh, in the world. Um, and then I get, uh, get my kiddos on the bus with my husband. And um, then my trainer comes over and we work out in my home gym uh, for an hour. Um, it's mostly stretching and physical therapy and, um, a little bit of weightlifting, sometimes a little bit on the treadmill. And then I come out for the day and I eat my breakfast and, um, shower and, and move along. That's my morning. Wow. That sounds luxurious. I love your morning (laughs) routine. That's amazing. So awesome. What kind of equipment do you have in your gym? Sounds like a treadmill. Let's we have a that. treadmill. We have a, a squat bench press rack. Um, I'm getting taller. I'm almost 50, but I'll have you know that by hanging stationary for a minute a day, I'm, I've gone from 5'3 to 5'3 and a half, and I even hit 5'4 um, no recently. But that, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, and uh, we've got all kinds of free weights and bands and um, stuff like that. We've got a really good treadmill. Um, that my husband got me for my birthday a couple years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, some, some blocks and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, that's what Sounds we Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, what personal habit are you most proud of and why? 
I think the meditating, I've been meditating for half an hour for like 19 years and uh, half an hour every morning. And, you know, it's not every morning. Like I didn't do it at all while I had for like a month because of COVID and I was just sleep. I was just prioritizing sleep. I would just, I was trying not to set an alarm and just, but you know, for half an hour every morning I meditate. And, um, I think I'm proud of that because I'm just, oh no, you know what I'm most proud of? I, at (laughs) night, I write in a five-year journal. Have you heard of these things, yes, Dr. Yami? I have amazing. one that I cannot maintain. <laughs> okay. So then it'll blow your mind then. And this is why I'm so proud of this because it's mind-blowing because I travel a lot and stuff. I write in a five-year journal every night. For your listeners who don't know what that is, it's a book that's like a journal where um, it's like 366 days, right? Each page is a day of the calendar year. So let's say whatever, you know, March 12th or whatever. And then that page is sectioned off horizontally into five little slots. And in your slot, um, you only have like five, six, seven, eight lines to write in, just a few lines to write in. So you're going to write the year and then you're going to write your little blurb. Well, after you've done it for a year, you get to read what you did or what you wrote exactly on that day the previous year. I am so proud, I'm bursting, that I have done this for 12 years and only missed one day. That's incredible. I never miss. That is incredible. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I'm really actually impressed by that because I cannot keep it up. And it's so funny because I, I it's just so funny that you brought it up because I saw it this week and I'm like, there's my five year, (laughs) the second five year journal I tried to start that didn't go anywhere. But yeah, I bet that's, I bet it does get fun because I never got to the point where I made it through a whole year and got to see the year before. Have you, like made some insights? Were you able to kind of reflect back upon some of your great successes or your lows and your highs? And what kind of things do you get from it when you reflect upon the previous years? Oh, all the time. I mean, um, you know, I've got most of my kids' upbringing cataloged there and the whole birth and skyrocket growth of Brightline Eating is all, I mean, my last few years have been a whirlwind. So I'm just so excited to have all this captured um, but, but one thing I'm noticing right now, cause I'm in my third journal and it's, um, I'm in my second year. And so I'm looking at the last, you know, last year and it was kind of a fog. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm writing about feels really far away, even though my perception is that hardly anything's changed in the last year, but so much has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I've got a lot of really cute things that my kids have said over the years that are captured in there. You know, like my daughter, Robin was asked when, when, uh, when she was like four, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Robin was like a mango. (laughs) That's a good aspiration. I would want to be a mango too. It's my favorite fruit. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, I love it. That is so cool. Congrats. Well, Susan, this has been fantastic. Uh, This has been a great conversation and I can just tell how much love you have in your heart and how much you care about your mission and how passionate you are about this. And I really, really appreciate how much thought you've put into it. And I really thank you for, for having this conversation with me. I'd love for you to let me know how our listeners can connect with you and what products and services you offer. So if any of this resonates with them, where can they go find you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Dr. Yami. Um, brightlineeating.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E. I I put out a free video every Wednesday. Um, You can find that vlog 
um, on that brightlineeating.com website. And the main thing that we offer is the Brightline Eating experience. It's a membership. It's super dirt cheap. It's like 20 bucks. Not, it's not like it's, it's exactly $20 a month. And, um, you know, we take you on a path with setting up your eating, losing your excess weight. And, you know, like Dr. Yami said, for some people, that's not helpful. For a lot of people, it is the magic solution they've been looking for for a long, long, long time. Um, and, you know, we, we publish our data and we've got people losing their excess weight, maintaining it and having less hunger, less cravings, more peace around food, um, you know, years and years and years and years later. Uh, it's remarkable. So for the people it's for, it's, it's a lifesaver. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, if you could leave us with your number one tip for busy moms struggling with their relationship with food, what is one place that they can start? I would say find out what kind of brain you have when it comes to addiction, you know, on that, that quiz. You know, Dr. Yami, you talked about a way that the quiz is sometimes not fully accurate or helpful, which is if you had a really wicked problem in the past you know, it might not behoove you to treat yourself as a 10 today, but um, for people struggling present day, that quiz is going to give them a lot of insight into how they might navigate that. So you can find that quiz at foodaddictionquiz.com and it's going to give you a score from one to 10. And if you're like, you know, eight, nine, 10, and you're struggling with food, then there are treatments out there and, and approaches available where probably today the intuitive eating thing isn't going to produce the piece you want. You know, yes. might, but but maybe not. You know what I mean? So you could check out Bright Line Eating then. So foodaddictionquiz.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for your work. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thanks, Dr. Yami. It's been so fun talking with you. That was a really important episode, and I am so glad that Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson came on to give me her perspectives on this topic as an expert in food addiction and her perspectives that she's had as someone who suffers from food addiction. So here are my takeaways. Food addiction is real, but it lies on a spectrum. Most people are probably not food addicts, in my opinion, but it's on a spectrum. Do the least restrictive program to find peace with food in your body. There's more than one route to achieve this. And I was so happy that Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson said that, that it's not just one path, you can find different paths. So you have to do what works for you. Number three, we are immersed in a world full of ultra processed, hyper palatable foods, but we are also fully immersed in diet culture. It's really complicated. These are complex conversations and we need to have them even when it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to have them, but we need to have them. And there's lots of different perspectives. There's lots of different experts, people that have done research, people that they themselves are experiencing certain things. So we need to be open to listen to all of that. Number four, there's a lot of nuance. And to deny that, to deny that food addiction is real or to deny that some people develop symptoms of disordered eating or food addiction from dieting behaviors is not serving anybody. So there can be more than one truth. And my final thoughts are have compassion for yourself and others, do the best you can, tune into your body and seek help and support if and when you need it. This is a complex issue and the most important thing is to tune in. Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Go get help. Thank you so much for sticking with us in this episode, even when it got uncomfortable. I appreciate you. I love you. 
and I hope that you have a very fantastic day. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.